listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Kath Marston here once again with the great Jeff Simmons. Always great to be on the air with you, Jeff. Wanted to ask how you're doing. I know you talked a little bit about what's going on in your life on a recent episode of your other program here on WBAI City Watch. How's it going? You know what? I'm doing a lot better. I still have a dry cough. <clears throat> For uh, folks who are not aware, I also just tweeted it to make everyone aware. I unfortunately did test positive. I had my two vaccination shots and then my booster shot. And while tra- I'm almost sure, I'm still blaming Cleveland, Ohio, because no one was socially distancing or or wearing masks a lot of the places we went. But uh, but I am doing much better. Got my test back this week, my new test. And- and I came up negative, but I still feel like I still have some of those symptoms, like my sense of smell has not returned. I don't have the best sense of taste, but my husband has always said that anyway. <laughs> I see what you're I see what you're doing there. Well, Jeff, I am very, very happy. I'm not very happy that you uh, got COVID, but I think that more and more people are joining that uh, that club. And I am very glad, though, that and I think you've talked about this a little bit on the radio, you know, the fact that uh, it could have been a lot worse, but that you were fully vaccinated, boosted that, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are some breakthrough cases. We are seeing that a lot, but it sounds like uh, all things considered you are hanging in there I, I am and i do know a number of folks who uh who were in much worse shape than me and no, several who did have both of those vaccination shots as well as booster shots and just were really down for the count i mean i'm just knocking on wood that it was not much worse but i'm glad that i'm back on here on the air on wbai and with you celeste so we're certainly going to be talking about a lot of things pandemic related for a very long time here on WBAI. This is uh, something that we've been talking about for uh, for two years now, basically. Uh, we worked on it together, Jeff and I, we worked on a series uh, called uh, New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. I think we ended up having about 16 installments of that of that series. And then we ended up coming back and talking again to some of those people, revisiting what has happened to them. And I know that uh, some of those people, I, I think we learned pretty recently, actually, I saw on social that at least one of the people that we spoke to uh, who had recovered from covid uh, apparently contracted it again. So this is this is something we're going to be talking about for a long time. Certainly something that President Biden spoke about in his uh, rare and interesting uh, news conference, one-on-one news conference yesterday. Jeff, was there was there anything that jumped out on you uh, about COVID? Because it's really related to what we're going to be talking about on the program today. You know, just what I've been hearing from the conversations I've had with a number of folks. It's not just about. You know, Joe Biden, I'm hearing this from more and more people who are just weary. You know, as Omicron continues, it's hitting us in the winter. There are a number of of uncertainties, a lot of concerns about what's going on in our education system. Should schools be open? Should schools be closed? There's just so many polarizing issues, including the one I know that you want to focus on today. Uh, that's created a lot of concern because all this is also happening in the dead of winter. And, you know, we thankfully here in New York City, the snow was not that bad today. It was, you know, they considered that this might be a little more worse than it was. But you think all these things happening at the same time and a lot of people feeling like I just want to get over this. And believe it or not, Celeste, I've had a few people recently tell me I just want to get COVID right now to get it over with because I'll be better. But 
as you just pointed out, there are a number of people who've gotten it more than once. Exactly. And of course, it's, you know, it's, it's very easy for us, or it's easier, I should say, none of this has been easy, but it's a lot easier for us to talk about what's in the news, what's in the headlines, uh, what's going on with COVID when you're safe and secure in your own home. And uh, related to the pandemic, we wanted to use today's program to focus on a major development here in New York, just the past few days. This is related to the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, that is the expiration of the moratorium on evictions. And this is something that could potentially affect many, many people. We've been seeing a lot of headlines about this. Uh, New York had declared a moratorium on these types of evictions. Uh, going back almost two years now, uh, over the weekend, we saw the end of, uh, of that stopgap measure. And we really need to talk about what is that going to mean for people? What is that going to mean for vulnerable New Yorkers? What is that going to mean for uh, tenants generally? Was it going to mean for landlords? Uh, what's it going to mean for the court system? Lots and lots of questions here. So just to help us catch up on the latest on this important topic, we're going to be joined right now by Rachel Holiday-Smith. She's a reporter for the nonprofit news outlet, The City New York. And Rachel's covered local news in New York for more than a decade. She's worked for WNYC, DNA Info, and New York One News. And she just did a very helpful piece that's worth checking out on The City New York about what tenants should know about the end of the eviction moratorium. So, Rachel Holiday-Smith, welcome back to Driving Forces. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So uh, as we just mentioned, you know, you wrote a piece about the eviction moratorium or the uh, the expiration of that moratorium. And it starts out with the story of a woman uh, who lives in the Bronx. And I'm sure you chose her story for a reason. Maybe it's emblematic of what other people might be experiencing or could be experiencing going ahead. Can you just tell us a little bit about that woman that you highlighted in that piece and how it might give us a broader sense of what we can expect? Sure. Yeah, I spoke with Muriel Robbins. She lives in Pelham Bay in the Bronx, um, and she's just a, a quite a low-income person. You know, she doesn't have a lot of means. She work. She lives off of Social Security income mostly, and um, she is facing an eviction case from her landlord. She lives in a small, you know, brick, uh, an apartment in a small brick house in Pelham Bay. Her landlord has um, lost patience with the fact that she can't pay rent. Um, and filed a case against her in November. Um, And she's emblematic to me only because, you know, she's hasn't paid her rent in quite a long time. She does not have the means to do it. And uh, like many New Yorkers, she just doesn't really know how she's going to make, you know, those payments and get that money together to pay her back rent. And she, she's quite fearful in a real way about going into the shelter system. If her eviction case uh, goes forward and is successful. Um, So, you know, I've just talked to a lot of housing attorneys who say that that's, that's what they see a lot is just uh, folks who cannot see a way to pay their back rent and folks who are very worried about, you know, having nowhere to turn. Uh, Muriel, you know, said that she has some friends in the city that she would leave her two cats with if she had to leave her apartment, but she doesn't really have anyone she could stay with or be housed with, so she would really be looking to go into the shelter system Um on the other side of things, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of housing attorneys who say that unlike Muriel, um, who has kind of gone through housing insecurity before, um, they're dealing with a lot of clients who are facing this for the first time. Um, people who, you know, lost their jobs during the pandemic 
and have never dealt with a housing case, have never gone to housing court, have never faced eviction before, and are now facing that. Um, so there's there's a lot of people in the eviction sort of pipeline, and uh, it's it's a scary time for folks. And uh, Rachel just wanted to ask you, uh, you know, as far as uh, some of your coverage, you know, if people are finding themselves in this situation, uh, you provided some specific tips for people who are in crisis or might be in crisis. And I think the first one was don't move out. Don't jump to do that. Uh, wh- what more can you tell people about what um, uh, what they should do to protect themselves? Yeah. Um, and this piece that I wrote is very focused on tenants specifically. And I know that the eviction pause and the restarting of evictions is also has huge implications for property owners as well. This piece specifically focused on tenants, giving them advice about this. And as you said, yes, that's the first thing that came from housing attorneys mouths when I asked them, what can a tenant do right now? Or what can they, what should they know? Which is don't self evict. Meaning if you get court papers, which many people may in the next few weeks and months, um, you, you don't have to leave until, a, a judgment is made and a marshal has an order to evict you. Um, you know, folks might get spooked by getting court papers, but you, that is not the moment that you have to leave. Um, they also suggested that you answer your, your court papers. You know, if you leave it and let it go, it gets worse. And, you know, judges and courts look quite badly at tenants who don't at least show up and give some sort of reply and represent themselves in court. The other thing to know, and this is really big and I think has not gotten as much coverage as it should, um, is the fact that tenants actually have a a really big thing in their corner right now, which is that they can get legal help. Most people who go to housing court can get legal help um, thanks to the right to counsel legislation that passed in 2017 in the city council, which allows anyone who makes um, less than 200% of the federal poverty limit to get representation in housing court. That was not the case previously um, and it only went into effect a bit right at the beginning of the pandemic so we haven't actually seen the full rollout of that until now so when these evictions go forward now or all of them now are sort of grinding back into gear you know tenants actually have quite a huge resource a free resource a free legal representation um, so all the folks I talked to the legal experts I talked to about this said you know Make sure that you get an attorney, a free attorney, if you're qualified. And many of the people who would be showing up for eviction cases um, probably do qualify um, as a as a low income person. So those are just um, some big things to keep in mind for tenants who who may be facing this down right now. Rachel, it's great to have you on the show today. Uh, you, you and I talked about these issues. I know that I work with one nonprofit that focuses on these issues. One of the things that also does come up a lot is the impact also on the property owners, on the landlords, because many of the folks that we're talking about, uh, the tenants, are in uh, spaces, are in homes that are owned by smaller uh, landlords with only a few units, and that many of them, uh, disproportionately as well, are immigrant and are people of color. And I'm just curious about what you're hearing from the the landlord side, from the property owner side as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I have heard directly from property owners, you know, who who email and who who let us know what they're going through. And, you know, for those folks who have cases where they have a tenant who is 
you know, just really um, recalcitrant or just um, causing issues in their building, for example, you know, causing damage, for exa- example, to property or, um, you know, maybe do- hasn't paid r- rent even though the landlord may have proof that they, they do have the money in some way. Um, it's It's tough because there is such a backlog in the courts for any case, for eviction cases, that's not going to change with the lifting of this pause. And, you know, people, property owners have, you know, coped for for months and months without rent sometimes, without payment of that rent. Um, And with cases where, you know, they, for other reasons, want to evict a tenant. So we've definitely heard from those folks. um, And certainly the larger organizations who have members who are those property owners, those landlords, are, you know, very happy about this this pause, this um, moratorium being lifted. It's something that they've lobbied for for a long time. And notably, I will say that even some of the most staunch tenant advocates um, took their their uh, foot off the gas of, of fighting to keep this moratorium um, because I think that they wanted to focus on other um, tenants' rights issues in the state and felt a bit like the um, the winds were shifting and there wasn't as much political support for keeping this moratorium in um, and keeping it in place. And certainly Albany lawmakers um, felt that way and let it let it lapse. And that's that's what happened on Saturday and that's where we are now. But um, yeah, the the folks from the property owning side and the landlord side have been really pushing for um, the court system to pick up evictions again, which now they have done this week. And I don't know if your reporting has covered this yet. Um, And if you're just joining us, by the way, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And we're talking to Rachel Holliday-Smith of The City New York, a reporter uh, for that nonprofit organization. Uh, Rachel, you know, talking about what people had anticipated going to this and what people wanted continued protection, landlords wanting to have uh, more latitude to evict tenants for, you know, for various reasons. You know, all this kind of build up to this sort of suggested that there might be this stampede of people going to get people evicted or people rushing to housing court to prevent what they would consider uh, an unfair or, or hazardous even uh, uh, eviction. Are, do you get any sense of what we're actually seeing? Did any of that actually come to pass or too early to say? Um, it, well, I will say that I do not know what happened this week. I don't have the numbers of how many people may have actually been evicted as business got into gear on Tuesday after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, but I will say that all of, surprisingly, all of the attorneys that I spoke with for this piece that I wrote um, said that they do not expect, you know, this stampede, like you said. And the reason for that is because the it's all sort of a conveyor belt, right? The eviction process uh, will begin with the cases that were put on pause right before March 2020. So you're going to see people getting evicted who had judgments that came through um, at that time. Uh, it, it's not like if you had a eviction case filed against you last summer or this fall, or maybe your landlord has been threatening eviction and is serving papers right now that you're going to be thrown out into the street this week or next week. Um, it's going to take a, 
quite a long time, probably months for those things to unfurl. Um, but certainly um, the numbers of people who are dealing with residential non-payment cases, you know, those cases where there's so much back rent owed because of the pandemic, those numbers have really ballooned. Um, so we will see that coming down the pike. Um, in my piece, I reported that there are uh, more than 180,000 residential non-payment cases right now in housing court, and that's up from about 31% since before the pandemic. So that's a that's a really big jump. Um, so no, it will not be, it probably is not, you know, a deluge that a huge amount of people who are being faced with this in court this week or next week. Um, but as things grind back into gear, yes, we will, lots and lots of people will be in the court virtually, probably, um, dealing with these cases. And Rachel, I know that, uh, you know, this is something that, you know, I've been looking at closely is how the news administration is going to address issues like this. We're talking about, you know, but what happened uh, before the end of the year was the, the state funds, the ERAP funds, emergency rental assistance program funds, basically were exhausted at that point. There were still a number of applications, people who, you know, started thinking, where do I go to next? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you think about the new administration, are you seeing any signs that they are looking into how they can resolve these issues, how they can address this crisis now before homelessness gets much worse in the city? Or are you, you know, are you kind of surprised that we're not seeing that focus on that? Well, um, certainly I would say leaders on all levels of government in New York right now are, are thinking about this, I would say. But there's a limit to how much the city can do. I mean, the movement on this will likely come from Albany, from the state. And they can, you know, they have levers, they can pull more than the city. Um, and one of those things is, as you said, ERAP or the rent relief um, fund that was created by the state for back rent that is owed. And certainly Eric Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul have been publicly urging the federal government to pour in more money there to just fill the incredibly huge hole that exists, um, or rather debt that exists for back rent. Whether that actually happens remains to be seen. And also, I should say that the state budget, you know, is a is a place where some rent relief may more rent relief may come down the pike. Um, but interestingly, you know, yes, certainly Eric Adams and his new administration is getting the word out about, you know, legal help for tenants, things that they can do um, to protect themselves, and also is urging people who have not um, signed up to get that ERAP funding to do so. Um, something that listeners may want to know is that, you know, if you have a pending application with that rent relief program, uh, you cannot be evicted while that is pending. And um, the courts doubled down on that this week and said, yes, indeed, that is that is the case. Um, so the mayor's office was pushing, you know, folks to to sign those forms to apply for rent relief, even if there's no money there. The the well has been uh, made dry for that money, but you know, people should still apply for it because they may get some eviction protection from that. Um, so, you know, there are, there are some things that, in terms of um, outreach, that the the city can do, but. It, uh, in terms of filling 
the whole back rent that's owed, that's really going to have to come from um, the federal government and the state. And another place where kind of advocates and landlords are aligning right now, a rare alignment, is to push leaders to, to get that funding and to make sure that um, those debts are paid uh, because landlords need that money and tenants don't don't have it. Rachel, I always wish we had more time to talk to you, and we definitely would need much more time to, to talk about this. But for the moment, for the moment, uh, where can people find out more about you and your work and read more of the coverage uh, of this issue as it develops uh, in the city? Sure. So we're at thecity.nyc, um, and we also have a a newsletter specifically for tenants um, and, you know, residential issues and um, and rent. And uh, folks can go to thecity.nyc to check that out. Rachel Holliday-Smith, reporter for the city. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. And we'll have you back again soon. Thank you so much. So you're listening to WBAI New York. Uh, this, uh, this is Jeff Simmons. Uh, we are Driving Forces, I'm joined by Celeste Katz-Marston, my wonderful co-host, and we were just talking to Rachel Holiday-Smith of The City, a nonprofit news source about the expiration of the eviction moratorium in New York. We're going to hear from another guest in just a few minutes, and then we will be taking your calls, because what's been clear uh, in the last, what, 24 or so hours is when Celeste first promoted this on social media, we did receive a lot of feedback, and I know that people are anxious to give us a call, but first... We do want to take just a few minutes to uh, remind you why we bring you these conversations, because we care about these topics, and we know you do. And next week, we're gonna, when we come back to the show, we're going to be bringing up a topic that our listeners asked us to focus on, and we'll talk about that later. But, you know, I just would love it, you know, for me, for Celeste, for Reggie, uh, who reminded us that we just had our 62-year anniversary, almost as old as me and Celeste. Uh, I'll let her weigh in on that in a few moments. But... <laughs> Um, but just if WBAI means something to you, take a few minutes and go to WBAI.org. And if you can, give as generously as you can to support this radio station so we can be around for another 62 years. I may not be here in another 62 years, but we hope that WBAI will be. We are very grateful for your support to what is called the WBAI Tower Fund. And we'll explain a little about that in just a moment. But again, go to WBAI.org. You'll see a big green field right on the front page. You can read lots more about the Tower Fund there before you make your gift. Here's the short version. We are trying to uh, to get set to maintain the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square through the coming year. And we can only do that if our listeners pitch in. Exactly. So uh, as Jeff said, here's the deal. It costs us $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square, $17,000 a month. And that is just to be able to bring you a clear signal around the clock. So please go to WBAI.org right now. Click the green button, support free speech, community radio, help us stay on the air. Your $25 donation or more, hopefully more, uh, means you become a member of the station and you 
can participate in important votes that determine the future of independent free speech radio in the greatest city in the world. And do not forget, this is really important. Your gift is tax deductible. You can write this off on your taxes. So give yourself a tax break, help a great cause, and do a great service uh, to this city and to conversation in this city. Please go to WBAI.org and support this station today. Just click the green button and give to the Tower Fund. You know, Celeste, when I had gone on my my road trip out west, I listened to a lot of radio. And I you know, I wasn't streaming in the car. I probably could have if I knew how, you know, I was more tech savvy and could connect the phone as well as I had hoped to to the car. But I missed listening to WBAI. I missed listening to the diversity of the programming here. It's not just the news programming like you, uh, our listeners here at 5 o'clock every day here on WBAI on your weekdays. It is like Reggie's show from the soundboard. It is listening to Ursay on Sunday mornings with the beautiful music that you hear when you wake up on Sunday mornings. There are so many reasons that WBAI, uh, you know, is important to not just me, but to our listeners. And so that's why we want to stay on the air. And that's why we need your support. We would love for you to help us out. So with that, we are going to get to our next guest. Now, we're talking about the expiration of New York's COVID-era moratorium on evictions. And our WBAI colleague, David Brand of City Limits, also had gone over to a Bronx housing court session on the first business day after the expiration to see what was going on. And, you know, if you get a chance, go to the City Limits website. You will be able to see that story. It's a very good story. But advocates have warned that the expiration has left thousands of New Yorkers vulnerable to being forced out of their home, and that state officials really are not doing enough to avert the disaster. So to talk more about this, we're joined by our next guest, Rebecca Gerard. Rebecca is the legislative director for the grassroots organization Citizen Action of New York. And previously, she was Citizen Action's campaign manager for housing justice. She's a member of the coordinating committee for the Upstate Downstate Housing Alliance, Housing Justice for All Coalition, and part of the steering committee for the New York State Poor People's Campaign. She got her start as a labor leader and organizer working in schools and low-income communities. Rebecca Gerard, thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI today. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Just to begin, what is your overall reaction to the fact that the eviction moratorium was allowed to expire here in the state this past weekend? It's extremely disappointing um, that the eviction moratorium has lapsed in the absence of action. And and I want to be clear that action did, did not have to look like um, another extension of the moratorium. We, we've certainly been a proponent um, of the moratoriums as they've existed, but in and of themselves, they are stopgap measures and they kick the can down the road in terms of... Um, Solving the solving the problem, right, and providing solutions, and so it's it's not a long term plan, and so there was opportunity um, to address this crisis through a myriad of ways, and and so what's really disappointing to us is that none of those opportunities were taken, and the eviction moratorium lapsed without any solutions in the form of legislation or budgetary allocations being provided. 
And Rebecca, and thanks for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. Um, you know, there everybody in New York to some degree, or almost everybody in New York, deals with high rents. You know, we have uh, much higher rents than lots of other cities. It's it's not easy necessarily for anyone. But when we're looking at the expiration of this eviction moratorium, you know, are are we looking at certain groups of people, categories of people who are you know really going to be vulnerable based on this? Is it uh, people who don't have the resources to navigate the legal system? Is it immigrants? Is it the elderly? Who who are we sort of frontline triage most concerned about? I think we're concerned about our most vulnerable populations, right? So it's it's some of the groups you mentioned. Yes, it's our undocumented neighbors. It is the elderly. It is a crisis that disproportionately impacts black and brown communities. And and we know this because these, this was the ecosystem that existed prior to the pandemic, where half of the renters in New York um, are rent burden in the best of circumstances. And I use, I use that phrase um, with, with some, um, you know, sarcasm, right? And, and so introduce a pandemic and a public health crisis into the mix. And we, we go from a system that was already um, had millions of tenants in peril and on the verge of displacement, homelessness, eviction, and we see those those populations I just named um, seeing their worst fears come to fruition, and it's and it's because of the fact that their wages did not allow for a safety net. They don't have access to legal resources. The options for housing that are affordable are limited or non-existent. And so there's there's a problem that we have to deal with in this moment to triage. And then there's policy solutions we need so that we don't keep ending up back in the same place. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and myself, Jeff Simmons. We're talking about the expiration of the eviction moratorium with Rebecca Garrard of Citizen Action New York. You know, I've been trying to follow what's going on in Albany, Rebecca, and, uh, you know, I did not get a chance to go through all of the, uh, the budget as much as I want to. Believe it or not, I'm saving it for this weekend to go through it because I'm really curious if Governor Hochul has invested enough in addressing issues such as this. But I'm curious, you know, how you feel about how the state has handled this. I mean, she had a litany of proposals a few weeks earlier in her State of the State and the accompanying book. But I'm just curious how you feel the governor and the administration is handling this right now. And uh, if you do have concerns, what you think they should be doing. Yes, I, I actually very much, uh, your your excitement about going through them uh, with a resonates <laughs> with me for this weekend. Um, but I have had the opportunity to go through them with with some um, scrutiny. You know, the reality is I think the, the housing portion of the executive budget is one of the most disappointing. Um, and, and I'm going to be quite honest. You know, we just saw the article come out um, regarding Governor Hochul's donations. And mm-hmm. we see that the vast, vast majority... Um, come from the real estate industry, and and uh, so I can't help at this point, but but wonder if there is not a uh, cause and effect relationship there. But but the proposal was very Cuomo-esque. I'm going to be honest. Um, in that it it 
makes promises for um, 100,000 units of, of affordable housing. Um, we have 4 million unregulated tenants in this state, millions um, more than that who are tenants, 100,000 over five years of affordable housing units um, is woefully insufficient in meeting the needs of the moment. We have a $50 million pilot for TOPA. I want to commend her um, for piloting that tenant opportunity to purchase act, but that investment does not meet the need. And then what was glaringly absent, um, and this is really from the tenant and landlord side. I anticipate that you will have many calls in from landlords, and I, and I welcome that. Um, what was really missing is we know that there's $1.7 billion that is still owed due to pandemic-related rent arrears. And the federal money that we got in, the $2.4 billion, um, did not cover the need that we felt in this state. And so we still have $1.7 billion outstanding that needs to be paid. And that doesn't even include folks who, who haven't had a chance to have their applications processed. And so there was a moment to say, I recognize that due to the pandemic and all the economic implications based on that, we need to fund the rest of the emergency rental assistance program in our state budget. And not only does that make tenants whole, but let's remember that money never passes through the hands of the tenant. It goes directly into the pockets of the landlord. So it makes tenants whole, but it makes the landlords whole. And it, and it, it puts us back to the starting place where we're at, where we can start to be forward-facing on policy changes that, that lift us out of these precarious situations. And, and so there was no money to address um, this, this crisis that is left unfunded, and, that, and that's bad for small landlords who we empathize with and we think, to be quite honest with you, um, should align much more with us than the real estate industry, who many of whom the wealthiest uh, property owners have, have gained wealth during the pandemic, unlike small property owners, right, who are struggling very much like tenants do. Um, and, of course, there was no um, mention of good cause eviction on her part, right, which I'm sure will be a, a hot topic, but, but is vitally necessary in, in terms of triaging the crisis. Well, let's talk about, and if you're just joining us, we're speaking to Rebecca Garrard of Citizen Action New York, and our topic today here on Driving Forces is the expiration of the eviction moratorium. Tell us a little bit more about uh, the good cause eviction legislation. What is uh, what is your uh, um, explanation for people who may just not be familiar? Yes, I think the first thing I want to say is, is there's a lot of misunderstanding conflating it with the moratorium. You know, we have landlords who are saying, I need to be able to get tenants out who couldn't pay, and we can't have good cause eviction because I can't keep going through this. So without taking a side on that argument, the reality is it's those are not equivalent, right? So if good cause eviction passes and you have a tenant who does not pay their rent, you can evict them. If they damage the property, you can evict them. If they are a nuisance to their neighbors, you can evict them. There's a myriad of reasons, right? upon which they can be evicted. And what it does say, though, is you, if you have a tenant who is fulfilling the obligations of their tenancy, taking care of the property, paying the rent on time, then they have the right to a lease renewal and they have the right to 
to maintain their residency in the unit. Because right now in New York, if you're an unregulated tenant, which is, Mm -hmm. again, 4 million tenants across the state, you can be evicted even if you're doing everything right as a renter. Um, So what do we know about, about those kinds of evictions that are leveraged? We know they're leveraged for two reasons. One, they're leveraged in retaliation for complaints about property repairs that are needed. And so, boy, do we have to look any further than the Bronx fire, right? Where the doors were not automatically closing, where the heat was so inadequate that that space heaters had to be used. Mm. People, this is a scourge across the state and people are afraid to complain because if you're not protected, you, you will be evicted. And so it's your, it's your safety risk that's associated with your material living conditions. And it's a risk, um, in terms of what, what that could lead to, right? The other way these evictions are, are leveraged is to convert affordable housing to luxury housing, right? And so that really brings in the other piece of this bill, which is to say you can raise the rent 3% or one and a half CPI just, just for breathing, right? You get that, that profitability. Um, but if you want to go above that, there should be some sort of cost justification associated with it. So if your property taxes go up, if you have to replace a boiler or the roof, right, feel free, mm-hmm. go above it. And in fact, it's not like rent regulation. It's up to the tenant to use that as an affirmative defense in court. The landlord does not have to in- incur legal fees to assert that. Um, but what we have to do is mm-hmm. really start preventing these skyrocketing prices that are not related to investment, but are related to what the market will bear. And um, and Rebecca, again, I always I know that we have promised a, a, a robust call segment, so I always wish that we had more time. But if people do want to find out more about this issue and specifically what Citizen Action uh, advocates on this issue, uh, where can we send people to find out more? Yes, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so they, I would encourage folks to visit our website. It is Citizen Action NY. Dot org, C-I-T-I-Z-E-N-A-C-T-I-O-N-N-Y dot org. And we have seven chapters and one affiliate around the state. So no matter, no matter where you are in New York, um, you should be able to connect with, with a staff person in your area, um, who can, who can speak to you more about this and, and how to join, um, in our work. Thank you so much. Rebecca Garrard is with Citizen Action New York. Rebecca, thanks for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, co-host with Jeff Simmons. And we were just speaking about the end of the eviction moratorium with Rebecca Garrard of Citizen Action New York. A little bit earlier in the program, we spoke with Rachel Holiday-Smith of the city New York, uh, who's a reporter who's been covering some of these issues. I know that we had a lot of interest in this topic today 
on Twitter, uh, maybe uh, specifically from some property owners. So coming up, as we promised, we are going to give you your big chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Whether you're a landlord, a tenant, both, neither. 212-209-2877. And we are going to take a short musical break. But in the meantime, start calling. We're going to get to as many calls as we can fit in. And this is also a great time to remind you, WBAI.org is where you will find out how to give to the Tower Fund. We can only bring you this kind of programming. We can only put you on the radio if we have a clear signal. We need your help. Go to WBAI.org to give to the Tower Fund. We're going to go to a musical break right now, and we will be back very shortly with your calls. Mark Ronson here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Je- I am uh, so I, I am Jeff Simmons. <laughs> I just I was um, I'm, I'm I have a visual on Jeff. I have a FaceTime visual on Jeff, and I'm looking at him. And I'm saying I'm Jeff Simmons, and and who are you, <laughs> sir? May I get your am name? Am I back? Please? Can you hear me, Ken- <laughs> Kenneth? Can you hear me? 
<laughs> yes. What's the frequency, Jeff? So you know what? I think this is only fair, or maybe this proves that we have a karmic bond. Because I think a couple of weeks ago, my mic, uh, you know, uh, blew up on me during the program, and you had to save the day. So uh, I'm, I'm here for you, Jeff. I'm here for you with these, thank with you. these and, calls, uh, and listeners. Thank you for paying. You know, um, for s- sticking with us and for just dealing with my inability to handle tech issues, including our wonderful engineer, Reggie, who messages me through the whole show about, you're not doing this right. Sound up all this stuff. So I'm so sorry. It out of love, Jeff. It was so much easier when I was in the studio because, you know, Reggie would just sit there and make smiley faces at me and the show would just go perfectly. Every time. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. The eviction moratorium related to the COVID-19 pandemic in New York has expired. It is over. What do you think? 212-209-2877. We are going to go to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. Okay, what's on your mind today? They told me I was second. <laughs> oh well, you are you, you are you have jumped the line here. This is your moment. Go ahead, Ms. Morrison and Mr. Simmons. I have an idea, right? The idea is is that especially around the 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 rent landlord situation, we need to especially the small landlords. We need to bring them in. They need to get paid because they've been putting out money to preserve the housing that they have for the people who are currently renting from them. So we need, when we talk about um, moratoriums, we need to have moratoriums on all payments to the vultures, uh, including the, um, the mortgage payments. And when it comes to the payments, um, I got to do my pitch. I want to make sure everybody contributes to the WBAI. And even if you don't have any capital, You can donate to WBAI by going to Good Search and doing a search about any topic that you heard today and put in capitals WBAI in as your charity of choice. Hmm. This works for all 501c3s that are registered with Good, Good Shop. And that way we generate money for this station from people who may not have capital to share. All I'm going to interject here is, Reggie, whenever this caller calls in, you make him first from now on. <laughs> Anybody who calls in and encourages people on the air to help out this radio station by by going to WBAI.org or through any other method is okay with me. And uh, thank you, caller. And, I, you know, interesting things, you know, the the – uh, the thing that I've been wondering about with this topic is what are we hearing from landlords? We have spoken to, we spoke earlier in the program with Rachel Holiday Smith, a reporter who's covering this topic. Uh, and then we spoke to Rebecca Gerard from Citizen Action, which certainly has a perspective on this, right, Jeff? And, you know, the thing that sticks with me is, you know, and I've mentioned earlier in the show, I work with a nonprofit, the Partnership for the Homeless, and I've talked with people who are handling those requests that are coming in to be able to people who are reaching out because they need help addressing the rent arrears and they mediate with property owners. The property owners don't want to go to, in many cases, do not want to go to court to think of all the extra costs that then get added on by going to court, how long that takes. If they could resolve this issue, you know, that's why the ERAP funds were a good example of something that could work and that possibly could be replicated in the long term. I believe we have another caller. Let's get to that other call. Uh, that person's there. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? 
Uh, good evening. My name is Robert Lee. I have a, I'm a property manager in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, could you hear me well? Yes, yeah, we welcome thank to the program. So okay. Are you the, the same fellow I was talking to you on Twitter earlier today? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for this opportunity to speak. May I make a couple of comments about what Re- uh, Rebecca Garage said about um, the good cause eviction? Go ahead. Um, it is the same as the rent control in the late 70s. They call it good cause because they say you could evict with a good cause. Uh, nuisance cases in the courts, now, now Rebecca is not familiar with the courts, um, and neither are any of the other activists. Nuisance cases in the courts are very, very difficult to, to uh, win. And on top of that, uh, given the backed up courts, you're talking about years to uh, win a nuisance case. Remember, the courts are backed up because of the overextended moratorium. Now, the 3% or the 150 times the court consumer price index, it's funny how in the state of New York, with the chance of the largest increases in utilities, I don't know if anyone knows about the increase in heat this year, because I estimated between 40 45%. Property taxes that go up 10 to 15%. I'm wondering how in New York this rent control bill, or good cause, the contemporary name good cause, could be introduced with the, offering the lowest increases, but yet in a state that taxes you so much. But then she says, oh, well, you could challenge it in court, which means a judge is going to, a judge is going to go over your books. But it's not even that. You already have a severely backed up court due to the moratorium. Given that most small owners cannot make it with just the 150 times the compute, con- consumer price index, you're going to back up the courts two, three, four, maybe even five years. Leases and- are going to overlap. Tenants don't have to pay while this case is pending. You're going to wipe us out. This is worse than the, uh, and I was, uh, this is worse than the, uh, than what happened, than the uh, rent control in the late 70s, because we have a severely backed up court. And I was there in the late, in the late 70s. I managed my brother's property and he actually foreclosed. It was just impossible back then. We are also dealing with an extended, uh, with, with, which is too, uh, too much to go and get involved here. The 2019 lopsided HSPPA. Uh, we are um, we cannot. Small can you, Rob? Can you just leave. explain for people who might not know what that is? Can you just explain quickly what that it is? It was a group of uh, it was a group of laws. Unfortunately, we, we didn't challenge it. Um, you know, um, it was a group of laws protecting tenants. I, I understand tenants need protection. Um, from developers and speculators ever since 2000, excuse me, 1999, I think, when the rent control was lifted off of uh, small buildings. That has been, New York has been a speculator's dream, and I understand that. Uh, but there are those of us uh, from small property owners in New York, we call ourselves phony. We have the same building, two generations, some even three generations. I myself am a second generation owner. We are the ones getting hit by these laws. We are the ones that are going to get hit if good cause passes. Meanwhile, the speculators will be buying us up. And ironically, these are the people that are uh, the cause of the displacement issue. These are the guys that come in, empty buildings, you know, harass tenants, you know, evict tenants, and then build luxury apartments. Not us. We have the same buildings for decades. I personally have a, uh, 21 years I'm doing this. Many, several of my tenants are there since, for 20, 22 years. Um, we are the ones getting hit with this. Um, and we, and, we, uh, we are set. Go ahead. 
No, but I'm just curious what, while we have you here in the, in the minute or so we have left, uh, during the pandemic, since you've been doing this, you said for, for 21 years, um, yeah. what were, did you have experiences with people who, uh, lost work or had other difficulties, yeah. got sick during the pandemic? How did you handle that? Did you, did you feel that uh, your only move would have been to evict if you could have, or, or how did you, how did no, you deal my with that? to, you know, been with me since 2010. Um, he got completely bad. I was very lucky. I don't know who I know that they tended to say with some zip codes uh, in small buildings. He was completely bailed out. Oh, by the uh, so by I, the I the government funding. Uh, he was completely bailed out. Um, you know, but a, a lot of uh, a lot of our members were not bailed out, especially the ones in Manhattan. For some reason, I just don't know how it happened that way. But a lot of them weren't bailed out. A lot of us have. Cases from 2018, non-payment cases. It isn't right. The advocates are going too far. They don't know when to stop. Uh, there's no, there's no reason why someone second generation with the same building that works with tenants should have, should be in a non-payment case since 2018. I don't care what anyone thinks of, mm-hmm. thinks of us. It's unfortunately that there's. Um, uh, there's not enough knowledge. You know, when you think of a landlord, you think lord of the land. That's why I always like to say mm-hmm. housing provider. But there is so, no excuse that that, I'm, that anyone should be stuck with a non-payment in 2018. So on that note, we're going to have to cut you off only because the show has to end in two minutes. But I'm glad that you engaged with Celeste on Twitter and that you were able to get your call in today because we did want to make sure we provided a variety of perspectives today. Thank you so much for calling into Driving Forces today. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it is, uh, as Jeff mentioned, almost time to wrap up for now. It's been, uh, uh, a pleasure to talk about this issue, get different opinions out there. Thanks, of course, to today's guests, uh, Rachel Holiday Smith of the City New York and, uh, Rebecca Gerard of Citizen Action New York. Thanks also to our engineer, Reggie, always, uh, looking out for us. Uh, what do we have, uh, coming up for City Watch and, uh, next Driving Forces, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, I know. There's like two things happening. Next week on Driving Forces, we, We listen to our listeners, so we will be focusing on the New York Health Act. One of our guests will be New York State Senator Gustavo Rivera. We'll also talk with advocates and take your calls on what you think should happen with health care in the state. And then when I am back on City Watch on Sunday, the 30th of this month, I'm going to be introducing you to two of the new council members in New York City, Crystal Hudson and Shahana Hanif. They'll talk to us about their priorities. That's on Sunday, the 30th at 10 in the morning, Celeste. One more reminder, of course, that we can only do all of this with your help and that your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive right here on WBAI is tax deductible. So please go to WBAI.org today to support the Tower Fund. And that is, once again, WBAI.org. Click the green button for the Tower Fund. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Or you can check the archive section of WBAI.org. This has been Driving Forces. We are Celeste Katz, Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Stay tuned to WBAI for the evening news. See you on the radio.